Hello, hello. Hey. Hey, how are you? Good. How's it going? Ah, uh, you know, it's it's still the prairies here. It hasn't changed. There's no mountain ranges or anything, and it's still kind of cold and smarchy, but otherwise, pretty good. Oh. Uh, How's New Brunswick? It's um, it's bumpy. Oh, okay. It's bumpy, and it's um, the temperature is always changing. Yesterday we had like it was nice. It was about. 10 degrees, 11 degrees outside. All right. And then uh, today was snowing. Oh, <laughs> okay. So you guys got that East Coast spring that we hear rumored about. Yeah, exactly. All right. Not so bad. Not so bad. Um, that has to be like a very Canadian thing to like, hey, what's going on your side? The weather? Cool. Let me hear about it. <laughs> right? It's like the great national pastime of talking about weather. I think there's a, um, there's a large large part of it is is people always want to make sure that they don't have the worst weather. And that's something that I found or that we found while we were cycling across the Oh really? Okay. Yeah, it all started in, in Vancouver because when we were in Vancouver it was nice. So you're like, okay, this is not too bad. And they're like, yeah, you know what, it's gonna be really beautiful if you go to the Rockies, if we're a little cold, but watch out for Alberta. Alberta has the worst weather. That's what everybody in BC says. So we go across the Rockies and you're up into Lake Louise and minus 10, but it's sunny and it's like 70 degrees. Mm-hmm. Most people go slow, they take it chill. And you're working hard, so you stay warm. And then you go and get into Alberta and it's like, oh, no, that's not too bad, is it? And everyone's like, yeah, but wait till you get to <laughs> so then we come across we get to Saskatchewan we're like oh yeah no worries Saskatchewan's not too bad Manitoba those guys have the worst weather <laughs> you're like oh no they're like it's always freezing cold it's the coldest place in the world Manitoba's the worst and then everybody like when we got into Manitoba they're like yeah but the East Coast their weather's unpredictable <laughs> gonna snow on you like crazy you just don't know eight ten seconds terrible over there be careful and then and then we get to montreal and ottawa and they're like yeah but like east coast like it comes like you can have a huge snowstorm in like two hours you can have two feet of snow you gotta be careful in the east coast so it was this constant like oh no you don't even know this is really <laughs> the next spot's gonna be Oh, that is great. Uh, it sort of sounds like a, a national pride of wave of bad weather mornings coming your way. Like you're trying to just yeah. outbeat the wave almost. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, too it's good. Just, it, it was like, you're like, well, when, when do we get the break? Like when, when is it going to be nice? When do we get a break in the winter? Well, the time that you guys uh, went out for this and also hashtag, yes, we know it's winter. Got to give that one some props. Um like you had to have known like it was not going to be the most favorable time of year to do this particular project right yeah i think um i think we were both pretty naive at the beginning okay and i like i've been i've been gone from canada for three and a half years right and in korea like we were looking we were looking back at all our friends in korea they're cycling the same weather in the middle of march right 
so you you kind of forget a little bit, but then you know we start planning the trip, and I start remembering But it was just the hype of the project that just ended up being makes the project seem more unattainable or harder. Just that extra bit. Yeah. So how did the whole uh, particular ride itself as a concept come about? Well, originally, I like I was finishing up my contract, and I what happens in Korea is a lot of people because they're over in South Asia. A lot of people, when they leave, they go towards Asian platforms. Now, this is a big generalization. You'll you'll just like kind of go from place to place that which is that's amazing. And it sounds very similar to uh, the British concept of the gap year in between like secondary school and starting post secondary education. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right. That wasn't something that really caught me. Like, I know a lot of people that have left and done it, and they were just like waiting for something. That sounded all fine and good, but I was like, okay, well, okay, if I can't work with you, I'll do that. Yeah, no, of course. It sounds completely natural. Like, kind of go back home, but adventure getting home. Exactly. And yeah, you know okay. What? Like, part of it, you know, like, I, I, there are lots of places over there that I haven't been. And, Yeah, you definitely get your feet wet more in that uh, area code, as we would call it, um, right. sort of experiencing what it's like to live and ride there, I guess, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I, so I reached out to Soba, you know, like, he's been everywhere. He's cycled almost all kinds of different So I was like, oh, what's it like? Like, is it a car? And so there was never a point where it was like, oh yeah, March, this is the big one. It was just like all that kind of stuff. I'd done trips with Paul Ryan before. We went down to the southeast coast of Korea. We did like a trip to Hawaii. There was never a point when I was like, oh, no, we can't do this. We're not going to do it. It was just like, oh, yeah, because we can get people to come and sit down. Because Canada is so scarce, we, you know, we get something for 
like you hear about people you hear about people getting stuck in their car yeah and freezing to death in their car yeah Mm-hmm. So it was just like, okay, so we had pretty much a month to think. Okay, it's gonna be this whole project of like keeping me home, but me coming home almost right away, rediscovering Canada, reimbursing myself for being able to come back home, and I had this conversation. Yeah, so with that sort of the, I guess, first rise that you did with Far Ride, uh, were kind of considered like, is this, was there any sort of training going ahead? Or did you just sort of ride into it? In terms of like the actual trip? Okay. In it. So, like, so I could set up and do the GPS system, you know, do certain training workouts. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't doing as much as I had hoped. I hoped to get three to six circuits, you know, um, just to kind of enjoy it and everything. But like, I didn't really get that So, and Bogon was like really busy, like, he's moving in between houses. We both went in pretty not ill prepared, but pretty prepared. Sort of undercooked. Yeah. Yeah. But it turns out that was that wasn't a big deal. Getting the same exact train. Okay. So a lot better way to do it is to just Yeah, no, of course, yeah. Okay, so where did you find, like, the sort of greatest difficulty to sort of, like, mental hurdles, I would even call it? I think, for me, mental hurdles were how to prepare. Because if you had planned it, if you had planned it really month by month, starting out on day one, day two, if you do 100 points on the first day, you start doing this type of thing, you start Like, 
literally be just before that, just in So did you find, uh, between the two of you, because it was pretty much just a duet of self-supporting and self-encouraging and all that, did you find like uh, Sogon would have his rough days or was he just sort of, in a weird way, like you are the one returning home, but Sogon is the one sort of going out to go home, right? So yeah. you're kind of both on the same journey, but doing it in different mentalities in a weird way. Did he find that it was this is the furthest out he's going to have to go. So he has to be mentally strong to, I guess, come back. Or did you find it hard to, um, you're coming home. So that's your light at the end of the tunnel. So you know where the finish line is, but for Sogon, that's where the halfway point is for him. Right. Um, I think a little bit. I think that Sogon, he's done so many of these trips. He, now, he does say that this is like the hardest trip he's done. Okay. We did have days where it was really hard for me. We did get into some really serious Those were rough days, but really, what was the hardest thing he's done? And I think for him, this was starting to make it clear he got a little bit too exhausted to have any physical failures. But where I, I love Sogon, he was, he was a The guys like Michael across Canada. No, of course, yeah. Yeah, that's that's an extreme. You're going out into desolation almost like there's nothing out there for a civilization. So... Yeah, like it did sound uh, when you came into the shop, just to give listeners who are going to be listening to this uh, a little bit of backstory here. Um, so what I did was just correct uh, one, your saddle height, as well as just tighten your cleat position, really, because um, your cleat was actually spinning just a little bit. And so it was probably aggravating your uh, MCL in your knee. Yeah. Um, 
so you were sort of slowly getting uh, tendonitis, but also a bit of a minor MCL sprain. By my diagnosis, I'm not a doctor for full disclosure. Um, but would that have been uh, that I would have to recommend is just probably from the wear and tear of you putting so many revolutions into the pedals over that distance, right? I feel like I had to put in a lot more rough. Now that you don't know, I'm not a professional. I don't know if this is true, but I feel like it's a lot more of a yeah no of course yeah it's just full-on uh you're almost like a version slash you're just trying to protect your body and your body's trying to still maintain that movement yeah yeah Yeah. So on that note, who sort of, uh, like, I know the three T, uh, bike company gave you guys, uh, stratas to use for this particular exploration across Canada. Um, do you know how that all came about or is it just Sogon arranged it and you had a bike? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, and for sure, you definitely get the sense uh, from that publication that there is that adventurous spirit to it. Um, I just find it absolutely bonkers that you guys did it on their race bike and not necessarily on their exploration bike. yeah because um one of the questions i actually have written down here like you guys did this uh just so that the listeners know is that you guys did this without any support vehicles um and you guys were carrying your own provisions for the most part um how do you find it being sort of uh, carrying more than what you would normally take for you probably on a regular ride to enjoy yourself and such. Um, but not enough to do like full on bike packing where you had a tent, you had your cook, uh, your cookware and all that fun stuff. Um, so how'd you find sort of editing down to that, like bare essentials for the long haul, I guess, uh, type mentality there. Okay. And then, yeah, so like, so I, I, but then there were some times where like, oh, man, like, we're even, so at one point, we were in, we were starting to get into like, Spain, like the first, the van called Rocket. Thank you. 
So did you find like there was enough sort of resources on the road to fuel up and such? Like I know some of your route and travel took the road less traveled a little bit, but um, with some of the, I guess, sort of feed zone stops uh, and stop points, were those sort of planned beforehand or are they just sort of, okay, this is the next gas station we're stopping? So oddly enough, did the food stops become little motivators of like giving you that mental break of, okay, we just made it to the next spot on the hill kind of thing. Um, So was there a... F no, no, no. Finish your thought there. Go for it. Yeah.
So was there a consistent uh, sort of like food slash treat that you looked forward to at each of these different stops? Like there was a consistent like, okay, I need a can of Coke or um, candy or particular chocolate bar or what have you? He went for ice cream. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Jesus, I would not I'm like that. I guess there's some psychology going on there. Like it's nothing's colder than this ice cream. So, jeez. Okay, so there's the secret, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's it's ice cream, gummy bears, and uh, cheeky cans of Coke, as Matt Stevens likes to call it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's the stuff right there. So, did you have? Um, well, you've gone from Vancouver all the way to New Brunswick. Was there a particular spot of that you can say like this one spot was your favorite view of Canada, or is it like the sort of mosaic i guess as we always call it of canada that was the greatest view yeah the mosaic of canada is um i do have to say that one of my highlight spots was oh really okay So is it kind of surreal to see like real Canadiana in the flesh happening live in front of you? Yeah. Especially because when, and I'm sure you know, some people, like, you know, a lot of people that are in the world, 
Canada or, you know, a lot of But for me, I'd always feel that I kind of Dang, that sounds great. Like, I'm kind of just lost right now. Um, so on that note, do you think that, um, say, if the federal government actually, I don't think they're doing this at all, by the way, um, if they put in the infrastructure for, like, better cycling for the Trans-Canada route, um, that would encourage these kind of endeavors of discovery of the nation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, do you think it would sort of, the romantic nature of a Trans-Canada voyage as it is now would be lost in that way like there's a certain you tell people you're doing the trans-canada route pretty much and people sort of look at you starry-eyed a little bit going oh no you're really doing that and there's this disbelief adventure sort of suspension of belief i would call it um on how people view that romantic notion of you're riding coast to coast so if it were easier do you think like the romance of that idea would be lost? Okay, because I was just thinking if um, there was like established every 120 kilometers kind of thing on a hypothetical cycling only path on the Trans Canada, where there's actual rest stops for like riders to like rest up, fuel up, get going again, Um, even some like mechanical uh, know how and service being done too. Like, would that sort of take away from if it gets easier, would that take away from the romance of actually doing the endeavor itself? Because you still have to turn the pedals, right? No worries. How are we going to, how 
So was there a particular small town that you found, like, sort of, not, I can't say, like, quantified what Canada is, but there was just, like, the people there, maybe it was a server, serving you guys coffee or what have you, that was just kind of like, oh, thank goodness for your soul kind of thing? Oh, good. Well, there's always, you know, people are people, right? So did you guys take a tally of uh, people saying like, wow, you guys are crazy? Like that was sort of like a weird drinking game if there was one. <laughs> no, it was um, yeah, it was just like you know, people who were like, Oh, it's still winter on Friday. And then we would just then I would just start throwing up stupid ideas. But not really. You know, we don't get excuses for that kind of stuff. You know, we met people at college came outside and then we later on came and we were No, that's like totally cool. Or in the 
Do you find, and this could easily like get us into the uh, minefield of colonialization and the subsequent horrors thereof, but now that it is our nation, um, and I'm not saying we're the only stakeholders in this, so no one, please send us, don't send us the, the hate mail kind of thing. Um, now that you do feel that it is your nation, do you feel ownership to it? And also, do you feel more in a empathetic slash um, sharing sort of mood with it or yeah. sentiment with it, I would say. Because that's always been one of my sort of um, personal political ethoses that I keep to myself. I don't really try and expel it all that much. But um, just because, like, as soon as you start talking politics, things go awry really quickly, right? You're never in the right, and you'll never convert anyone to your way of thinking, right? So, um, but having said that, do you feel that it's more of a unified nation, or is it more of it's regional, but it's still part of the whole? No, exactly. Like that sort of, that sort of was my little understanding from my little getaway to Quebec City is that there's more in common than there is different. And even with like the different peoples that um, Canada's issue with colonization and again, like we mentioned, uh, subsequent like travesties that have occurred since then and are still kind of occurring in a lot of ways. um, There's still this unification sentiment that I find different than probably America in a lot of cases right now. Yeah. 
Um, so just in the tail end of this uh, little interview here, um, if you could do it over again, would you? And also, would it be different? Or how would it be different? Sorry. Okay. Oh. He started in Montreal. Went all the way to St. John's Christmas. Then drove around, came back, cycled all the way to Boston going down to Toronto and doing like this whole like up and down sort of Then went to Victoria. Back back. Out to Park Ride. Then went up north through the Yukon. All the way to St. John's. All the way. Holy smokes. Yeah, his name's Robert. He lives in Montreal. We met up with him. We're friends. So I think chatting and talking to painters and art and local But he said, and I think it's true, is that as soon as you put a deadline on something to find them, everything that could go wrong. Oh, okay. Holy smokes, yeah. So is that more of a life skill that he has maybe appreciated, like as a sense of discovery of this? Yeah. And uh, what I really like is that I couldn't do it that way. But what I really like is that he doesn't cycle on the Christmas through the Christmas. And I really like that because I think that Oh, for sure. I kind of like that solution there. It's uh, go ride your bike is pretty much like the best solution.
No, that's that's awesome, man. Yeah, I think riding your bike is the, the answer to a lot of questions. <laughs> I agree. I very much agree. Um, my last question for you before I sort of turn the tables here momentarily is what's next for Callum post uh, hashtag far ride transcan? Oh, that's a good question. So I studied civil engineering at school and kind of got fed up. And I was just young and didn't, you know, didn't think I, I would enjoy being on the same level as most people were. And it was super, super difficult. I was doing different projects and chores and Okay. Went to Korea like eight years ago. What I realized when I was there is that you had to be working with an Arabic from the time that I was there. And Ottawa managed to get the work there to make up for the people. But I spent a year and a half going to work with other students in Africa. I was back to school and I was still in Ottawa at school and still doing what I kind of wanted to do. So I was like, you know what? And then sub question, what's your next ride? So do you have your clothes waiting for you in Toronto when you do this or uh yeah. Sweet. No, that's that sounds like a great way to sort of recoup after, say, 6,000 plus kilometers of uh, Canadian highway. Yeah, I felt so. You know, in the small roads, it reminds me of like the back of my Might as well keep riding now because we all those days in Canada. So I often uh, try and ask the question. And this is going to be new for probably future interviews, but for those listening to the Bike Shop Boyfriend podcast here, um, is there a question you want to ask the listeners that is just on your mind, something you're into, something you want to know maybe about the industry that you want to ask the listeners? They're going to reply back in the comments 
um, all that fun stuff. This is just usable data for you to sort of get answers to uh, and not just asking myself. So, yeah. Dang, that's a that's a great question. I don't think I've actually asked anyone that. Uh, yeah, thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, no, I'll uh, definitely send you uh, answers, comments, and all the good stuff. So I'll screenshot it and send it as an image for you, but let them reply back. Sweet. Um, Great. Well, we'll uh, we'll end this here, and I'll get to editing uh, the whole podcast, and the listeners are going to hopefully call to action, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's awesome. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you very much, Callum, for uh, being on the show. No, hey, my, my absolute pleasure. And it was great to actually meet uh, people that you meet through social media in the flesh is always a really surreal, but really cool experience. So yeah. awesome. Well, that's it. And uh, stay tuned, folks, for, uh, for more interviews. All right, thanks a lot, <laughs> Thank you, Caleb. Cheers, man.